Hey future doctors, welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. This is episode 4 of season 4. We have a wonderful episode on a much needed topic today, so I hope you're ready. Let's let the hosts introduce themselves and take it away. Hey future doctors, thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. This is Carla Wyattingram and Michelle Troop, and we're third year medical students at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine Greenville and we will be your host today. If the thought of having to parse through neuroembryology sends a chill down your spine, you're in the right place. Today, we're going to walk through important landmarks in neural development and explore the pathology that can present when that development goes wrong. By the end of this episode, you're gonna be talking about neural crest cells, neural pores, and neural tube defects like a pro. We're going to be asking lots of questions today, so feel free to pause the episode and think about the answers as needed. Take this episode as a learning opportunity. If you don't know the answers, that's okay. We're all here to learn. Neuroembryology is the development of the central brain and spinal cord and peripheral spinal, cranial, and autonomic nervous systems. These tissues develop from the neural tube and neural crest cells. For your boards and shelf exams, it's important to know the approximate timeline of tissue formation and development in order to better understand where things can go wrong. Let's talk about the beginning of neural development. There's a lot that we can talk about, but for today's episodes, we're going to go over weeks one through eight and then go deeply into week three. Starting at the beginning, do you know what happens during week one? Exactly. HCG secretion begins around the time that the blastocyst implants into the uterus. The easy way to remember this is blastocyst sticks on day 6. Next is week 2, with formation of the bilaminar embryonic disc. You can remember this by thinking bi is two layers, which are the epiblast and hypoblast. Week 3 brings us to the formation of the trilaminar embryonic disc via gastrulation. This is when the epiblast cells invaginate through the primitive streak. Do you know what these three layers are? You got it. This is when we see the distinct endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm layers. Again, this is an easy way to remember is week three is when you get the three layers. Do you know which of these layers the notochord is derived from? Yes, the notochord arises from the midline mesoderm and induces the overlying ectoderm via sonic hedgehog to become the neural plate, which eventually gives rise to the neural tube via neurulation. But more on that a little later. For now, let's move into week four, which is when the heart begins to beat and the limbs begin to form. You will be able to see cardiac activity on transvaginal ultrasound by week four. We remember this by thinking week four is when you get four chambers of the heart and the four limbs begins to form. Skipping to week eight, this is when the genitalia will begin to have male or female characteristics. We can remember this by thinking genitalia. Okay, so let's go back and dive into week three a little more. We talked about how the notochord is formed from what layer? That's it, the midline mesoderm. The notochord induces overlying ectoderm to differentiate into neuroectoderm. Do you know what structure it then forms? You got it, the neural plate. So the notochord helps induce formation of the neural plate. Do you know what structure the notochord becomes in adults? 
Exactly. The nucleus pulposus of intervertebral discs in adults. This is the center of those squishy discs that cushion in between your vertebra. Now back to that neural plate. Do you know what the neural plate gives rise to? Yes, the neural plate gives rise to the neural tube and neural crest cells. These neural crest cells will subsequently differentiate into a variety of tissues, including the peripheral nervous system. So what does the neural tube become? This one is a little more complex. The lateral walls of the neural tube are divided into alar or sensory and basal or motor plates. The alar plate formation is induced by bone morphogenetic proteins or BMPs, while the basal plate formation is induced by sonic hedgehog. Now, the neural tube itself differentiates into five distinct regions that line up with the anatomic derivations of an adult brain. Do you know what those five regions are? Exactly. The telencephalon, diencephalon, mesencephalon, metencephalon, and myencephalon. Do you know which of these two form the forebrain? That's right, the telencephalon and the diencephalon. You may hear the forebrain referred to as the prosencephalon, which is helpful to know for one of our conditions that we'll talk about later. The telencephalon will form the cerebrum, hippocampus, and olfactory lobes, while the diencephalon forms the retina, hypothalamus, and thalamus. The rest conveniently go in alphabetically order when, alphabetical order when viewed anatomically. Here's what we mean. The mesencephalon forms the midbrain, the metencephalon forms the cerebellum, and finally, the myencephalon forms the medulla. The cerebellum and medulla make up the hindbrain. So, presencephalon is forebrain, and then from midbrain to hindbrain, we have mes, met, and my going alphabetically. Embryology can be hard to learn without looking at pictures. So if you're getting confused, I encourage you to pull up some photos where the different layers are color-coded and walk through these steps. Now that we have the normal development down, let's go talk about what can go wrong. First up, we have a 16-year-old first-time mom who presents to your clinic at 18 weeks with no prior prenatal care or vitamins. Her prenatal screening AFP or alpha-fetoprotein is elevated and amniocentesis shows high acetylcholinesterases. What are you concerned about for her baby? That's right, neural tube defects. While the young first-time pregnant person with no prenatal care is at risk for multiple increased complications, the giveaway to this vignette is the specific mention that she's not had prenatal vitamins and the results of her testing. Supplementation of what vitamin would have decreased the risk of neural tube defects for this baby? That's right. Folic acid, also known as vitamin B9. Do you know when it's recommended to supplement with folic acid during pregnancy? It's actually the whole nine months of pregnancy and one month prior to conception. Other than insufficient folic acid supplementation, can you think of any other risk factors that increase the risk of neural tube defects? You got it. 
comorbidities such as type 2 diabetes, obesity, and certain drugs like methotrexate, valproic acid, and TMP-SMX will also increase the risk of neural tube defects. Do we screen for neural tube defects prenatally? Yes, we do. When do we screen for these defects? You're exactly right. There are options to screening in the first trimester and second trimester. How do we screen? Maternal serum alpha-fetoprotein will be elevated, as was seen in this patient. You can also see increased acetylcholinesterases on amniocentesis. More specifics on prenatal screenings will be covered in a future podcast. So check out the podcast feed if you have any more questions about screenings for neural tube defects. These neural tube defects occur when there's failure of the neural pore to completely close. This can occur at the caudal end of the pore or at the rostral end of the pore. Do you know when the caudal pore should be expected to close? That's right, at 24 days or around the three week mark. What about the rostral pore? You got it, 28 days. Let's jump into some of the specific neural tube defects you can see, starting with failures of that caudal pore. We're going to be discussing the postnatal presentations, whereas in the clinical vignette earlier, we were discussing the presentation during pregnancy. Step one loves to test neuroembryology through these presentations, so make sure you can recognize these neural tube defects. Let's get started. We have a baby who has a tuft of coarse hair on its lower back. Which type of neural tube defect does this baby most likely have? That's right, spina bifida occulta. In this defect, there is incomplete closure of the spinal column, but the dura is intact with no herniation. Oftentimes, a tuft of hair is looked for as a buzzword for spina bifida occulta, but don't forget that it can also present with just a skin dimple above the spinal column. Next up, we have a baby that has a bulge on their lower back. Upon examination, it is a protrusion of the meninges filled with cerebral spinal fluid, or CSF, but no neural tissue herniating through the spinal defect. What type of neural tube defect is present in this baby? You got it, a meningocele. Now, what if that bulge did contain neural tissue herniating alongside the meninges and CSF? You got it, that would be a myelomeningocele. One way I remember this is by knowing that myel is the prefix for spinal cord. So a meningocele is just the meninges, but a myelomeningocele is spinal cord and meninges herniating. Now, if you see a myelomeningocele, what other neurologic condition should you be concerned for? Exactly right. A myelomeningocele is characteristic for a Chiari 2 malformation, but more on that later. For now, we have a baby with exposed, unfused neural tissue without skin or meningeal covering. Do you know what this is? That's right, this is myeloschisis. This is a little bit of a lower yield neural tube defect, but we wanted to include it for completeness. You will not see an intact dura with this condition. 
Last but not least, what is it called if the defect is when the rostral neuropore fails to close? Perfect, it's anencephaly. In this case, there is no forebrain development leading to an open calvarium. Clinically, this is not compatible with life, but during pregnancy, you may see polyhydramnios or excess amniotic fluid because there's no swallowing center since there's no calvarium. Now that you've got neural tube defects down, let's dive a little deeper into brain malformations. A 20-year-old gives birth at term to a stillborn baby. She received no prenatal care, but did attend Alcoholic Anonymous Support Group for women who were trying to decrease conception during pregnancy. On autopsy, the coroner noted that the baby had fused cerebral hemispheres, a monoventricle, and cyclopia. What condition did this baby have? That's right, holoprosencephaly. This is a failure of the forebrain, or the prosencephaly, to divide into two cerebral hemispheres, usually around week three to four of development. Remember earlier in the episode when we learned about the prosencephalon? What two regions of the neural tube form the prosencephalon? That's right, the diencephalon and telencephalon. No need to memorize since you know your neuroembryology now. What causes this failure of division? That's right, this is associated with sonic hedgehog mutations. Do you know what two syndromes are associated with holoprosencephaly? You got it. You may see this with Patel syndrome, also known as trisomy 13, and alcohol fetal syndrome, as in the vignette above. How does holoprosencephaly present? It will likely present with midline defects such as a monoventricle or cyclopia, as in this vignette, fused babel basal ganglia, proboscis, or pituitary dysfunction like diabetes insipidus if the baby is viable. So what does proboscis mean? It's a blind-ended fleshy tube that often presents midline on the face seen in patients with holoprosencephaly. So that's holoprosencephaly, when the hemispheres fail to separate. Do you know what it's called when the hemispheres separate but the neurons fail to migrate? Yes, that's lysencephaly. The buzzword for this condition is smooth brain. The lack of neuronal migration results in a lack of sulci and gyri. This is one of those where test writers like to show a picture. If it doesn't have the nice, bumpy, normal brain appearance and looks somewhat smooth, don't hesitate. That's lysencephaly. This condition is not often compatible with life. However, can you imagine what sorts of clinical presentations might be present if these babies survive? Yup, it's associated with developmental delays and seizures. We're gonna end this episode with covering a group of defects in the skull leading to herniation of part of the posterior fossa. Do you know what this pathology is referred to as? Exactly right. These are the Chiari malformations. Our first patient is a 16-year-old female who has been having recurrent headaches and episodes of imbalance. She's had a full workup with neurology and imaging showed cerebellar tonsillar herniation through the foramen magnum. Do you remember what it's called when the cerebellar tonsils protrude through the foramen magnum? 
Correct. It's a Chiari 1 malformation. This is usually asymptomatic in childhood and, as in our patient, manifests as headaches and cerebellar symptoms in adulthood. An easy way to remember that Chiari 1 is that there is one structure, just the tonsils, that protrude through the foramen magnum. Now, this next one should sound a little familiar to you. We have a newborn whose mother had no prenatal care and was found to have a myelomeningocele upon delivery. Imaging shows the cerebellum, tonsils and vermis, and medulla herniating through the foramen magnum. Do you know what it's called when the cerebellum and medulla herniate through the foramen magnum? You got it, a Chiari 2 malformation. Because this has two structures herniating through the foramen magnum, it's easy to remember that it's more severe than a Chiari 1. Do you know what additional finding we will see on head imaging with a Chiari 2 malformation? Perfect. We will see non-communicating hydrocephalus because the herniating tissue is obstructing the flow of cerebral spinal fluid. Do you know how a Chiari 2 will present clinically? It can present early in life with dysphagia, strider, apnea, and limb weakness. Do you remember what we said Chiari 2 was associated with? You got it, a myelomeningocele, just as in the vignette above. If you need a refresher on myelomeningoceles, you can just rewind this episode. Both type 1 and type 2 Chiari malformations can be associated with syringomyelia, which, if you want a refresher on, is covered in the spinal cord lesion episode. Last but not least in this category, we have a Dandy Walker malformation. Do you know what causes a Dandy Walker malformation? Yes, agenesis of cerebellar vermis, which leads to cystic enlargement of the fourth ventricle. That fourth ventricle then enlarges to fill the posterior fossa. What are Dandy Walker malformations associated with? They're associated with non-communicating hydrocephalus and also spina bifida, those neural tube defects that we talked about earlier. Okay, so let's recap. We made it through neuroembryology and the pathology that can occur when embryological development doesn't go exactly as planned. Let's quickly review the different stages of development that we talked about. Do you remember what happens in week one? That's right, the blastocyst sticks to the uterus on day six. What do we see in week two? You got it. Week two has two layers, the epiblast and the hypoblast. So if week two has two layers, what do we see in week three? Exactly, the formation of the three layers, the endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm. What important neuroembryological development do we see in week three? You got it. The important notochord arises from midline mesoderm and induces the overlying ectoderm to become neural plate, which gives rise to the neural tube via neurulation. Do you remember what the chemical messenger is that induces the formation of the neural plate? You got it. It's sonic hedgehog. Do you remember what the notochord becomes in adults? Exactly, the nucleus pulposus of the spinal cord. What about the neural tube? 
It gives rise to three main structures, the basal or motor plate, the alar or sensory plate, and then the five regions that line up with the anatomical divisions of the adult brain. What are those five regions? You got it, the telencephalon, diencephalon, mesencephalon, metencephalon, and myelencephalon. When the neural tube does not close properly, we can see neural tube defects. What is it called when there is an issue with the rostral tube closure? Exactly, anencephaly, where there's no calvarium. What do we call issues with the caudal tube closure? You got it, spina bifida. What type of spina bifida presents as a dimple or tuft of coarse hair over the lumbar spine? Right, that's spina bifida occulta. And what if there's protrusion of meninges and CSF but no neural tissue? That's a meningocele. Lastly, what if there is protrusion of meninges with CSF and neural tissue? Perfect, that's a myelomeningocele. If this is present, what else should you be concerned about? You've got it, a Chiari 2 malformation. What increases the risk for these neural tube defects? That would be lack of folate supplementation during pregnancy, valproic acid, methotrexate, or the antibiotic TMP-SMX. What is it called when there is failure of separation of the cerebral hemispheres that may present with other midline defects such as cyclopia or proboscis? That's holoprosencephaly. What is it called when the neural crest cells fail to migrate and there's loss of sulci and gyri of the brain? That's our smooth brain called lysencephaly. Now, which type of Chiari malformation presents later in life with a headache and cerebellar symptoms? That would be our Chiari 1 malformation. What will you see herniating through the foramen with this type of malformation? Exactly right, one structure for Chiari 1, the cerebellar tonsils. And which type of Chiari malformation is present if you see herniation of the cerebellar vermis, tonsils, and the medulla? You've got this, exactly right. It's a Chiari 2 malformation. All right, we made it through neuroembryology and the associated pathology. It's the highest deal to understand neural tube defects and Chiari malformations, but the embryological derivatives of different neural tubes will definitely show up on your exams. This can be a little tricky of a topic, so you may want to re-listen. We will also suggest that you look at color-coded pictures um, as those tend to help us keep track of how tissue embryologically develops into the adult counterparts. Thank you for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, 
visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying, and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.